Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 8 at verse 15. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 15 of chapter 8 in the book of Daniel, where it says this. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli. And he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Now while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand upright. He said, Behold, I am going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. The ram which you saw with the two horns represent the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue, His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. And he will magnify himself in his heart. And he will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. The vision of the evenings and mornings, which has been told, is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision and there was none to explain it. So then, we find here in the last half of chapter 8 of the book of Daniel that um, there is this interchange between Daniel and uh, those that were with him while he was witnessing this vision. And evidently, these these persons were uh, angelic beings, and uh, in fact, we are given the name of one of them so that we are not confused about uh, who Daniel is talking to. Uh, And uh, uh, for the most part, when uh, angels exhibit themselves to human beings, they they don't uh, reveal themselves as uh, anything but um, uh, a human figure, and that's the reason why they are uh, given the appearance as a man. And so, 
That is uh, what happens here. And he's standing before him, one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli. So he's still there in uh, near Susa, the uh, the capital. What uh, is the capital of the Medo-Persian Empire? And uh, even though the Medo-Persian Empire has not yet taken over Babylon at the time that uh, Daniel sees this particular vision. But anyway, it says that uh, these two people have an exchange and they, uh, the one calls out the other by name. Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So we have here the first named angel of the Bible, and that is Gabriel. His name means hero of God. And um, there's another named angel. There's only two uh, that are named in the entire Bible. And the other one is named Michael. Uh, Now, Gabriel shows up in Daniel several different times. Gabriel seems to be the angel that reveals things uh, to people. Even though uh, that he may not be the only one, but uh, when he shows up on a scene, he's usually the one that actually gives the revelation or gives the explanation. We'll find him again in uh, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 21 uh, in a very important prophecy that comes uh, later describing some other things, especially the, the timetable about uh, all these events. And then uh, we find in uh, Luke chapter 1, Uh, Gabriel is the one uh, who uh, talks about the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. And uh, that is uh, two different times he's named. Uh, Later on also in Daniel chapter 10, we have uh, Michael, uh, who is described as one of the chief princes. And uh, Michael shows up as as named in uh, chapter 10, verse 21, as Michael, your prince. Also in chapter 12, verse 1, he's named as Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. So Michael is named evidently as the angel who has been given the responsibility of watching over the Jewish people, especially the Jewish people as they are currently in exile in Babylon. So uh, that gives you an idea of who uh, Daniel is dealing with, even though he uh, is uh, grappling with a whole bunch of things all at once. And it, uh, in fact, it's, it's pretty overwhelming mentally and physically, as we'll find out. But uh, so the one angel says, Gabriel, give this man understanding of the vision. So he came near to me where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened, it says, and uh, fell on my face. But he said to me, son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Now, when Gabriel uses this kind of language in the Old Testament uh, in this regard, in this context in the book of Daniel. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means uh, as we are familiar with the phrase in the way the New Testament uses it. Uh, this doesn't refer to what we call the end times. This refers to what Daniel and his people would have understood as the time of the end. And that is after the Babylonian Empire exile is over. And that has already been told would last for 70 years. We'll get into more uh, detailed explanation of that uh, later on. But for now, let it uh, just sit there for a while. And that is what... uh, 
the time of the end refers to is everything that happened once the Babylonian empire is destroyed and uh, the Jewish people are allowed back into Jerusalem and eventually they'll be allowed to not only build the city and the walls around the city, but they would also be allowed to rebuild the temple in, uh, in its own sequence. And, uh, and that is what is anticipated in the time of the end, somewhere between the the uh, the end of the exile and the coming of the kingdom of the Messiah. So it's a big, broad brushstroke, you might say, in that one little phrase, and uh, it's bigger than uh, just what we might think of as as uh, our study in perhaps the Book of Revelation or or the New Testament uh, teachings about the end times. Uh, this is bigger term than that. It covers a great deal of history, but but they don't know that at that time. They only know that once the exiles are over, then, uh, then something else begins to happen, and those things are now, only just now, to Daniel, being revealed in uh, somewhat of a detail, or at least enough of the details are given to us so that, uh, and to Daniel, so that uh, uh, he can understand and he can relay this message to the people so that when it does come about, they are able to recognize it in a very specific way. So notice this is physically depleting. He was very frightened. And uh, in fact, it says in verse 18, he sank into a deep sleep. He fell on my, he says, he fell on my face to the ground. And it says that the uh, Gabriel touched me and made me stand upright. So only by this supernatural strength can Daniel even stand up again and uh, find his bearings. And he says, behold, I'm going to let you know, this is verse 19, uh, let you know uh, what will occur in the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And again, this has to do with a with what we now know to be a very broad expanse of our human history on earth and the history of Jerusalem and the history of the temple and the history of the Jewish people. But but uh, that is what uh, is being revealed. And uh, in, even though we might think of it in terms of very precise things of uh, several key events uh, right before Jesus returns, uh, they don't see it quite that way. Uh, they see it in this, this manner, that somewhere this exile is going to come to an end, and once it comes to an end, then this amount of history is going to have to play itself out before the Messiah comes and before the Messiah um, himself sets up the temple in Jerusalem. So we'll get to that uh, later on, but that is basically what is intended by the term and understood by that term in that particular context uh, of the time of the end. And so, again, we we are familiar with verses uh, 20 and 21, where the angel specifies exactly who these two animals represent, especially in their military conflict with each other. And I believe that's why these two animals are brought into this particular vision for this reason, to get to some of the details about those things. The ram is Medo-Persia in verse 20 and verse 21. The goat is the kingdom of Greece with this one large horn. And then it says that uh, these four horns replace the large horn that is broken off uh, because uh, uh, 
Alexander the Great uh, met an early end in his life, and uh, that meant that he had conquered so much in so little time. And uh, at the same time, uh, he was a powerful leader, and we know him as uh, the label, the great. He's not just any Alexander, but in the Bible, he's not even named except described by his career, his very short career. Uh, he inherited his father's throne, uh, Philip II of Macedon, uh, after his father was uh, assassinated in 336 BC. He conquered all of Persia uh, from Lycia to the Indus River by the age of 30. That was 327 BC. The language and the, as, as a result of, of the uh, Greek Empire conquering so much territory so quickly and being so influential that uh, that the Greek language and the culture of the Greeks was expanded into the Near East, what we would call that today. And the blended Greek language uh, into Judaism later was identified as Hellenism. That's what the Jewish people uh, adopted as their new culture once the Greek Empire uh, took over the Promised Land. And the, they ad adapted themselves to the Gentiles who controlled the Promised Land by adopting their language. Language. The scriptures, in fact, the old what we call the Old Testament, was translated into the Greek language uh, by the Jewish people. And uh, we have a name for that translation. It's called the Septuagint. And so the rabbis and the Jewish scholars of Jesus' day were still using as authoritative scriptures that translation of the Septuagint. As well, the Greek language was used as the evangelistic language in the Roman Empire of the New Testament. So we're going to take a little musical break right now, and we'll see you back at the end of this. Welcome back, and we are still uh, in the last half of uh, chapter 8 of the book of Daniel, and this is now Gabriel, the angel, uh, interpretation or his explanation to Daniel about this uh, rather small horn that uh, was revealed uh, in a graphic way to uh, Daniel in verses 9 through 14 of uh, chapter 8 of Daniel. Uh, of Daniel. And so, so what he's doing is basically adding his color commentary to this, uh, this vision, and especially to this one rather small horn that came out of one of the four divisions of the Greek empire. And of course, from history now, we can go back and uh, examine it and discover that uh, this fellow uh, now in our, uh, our own past uh, has a name. His name is Antiochus uh, IV. Uh, he's otherwise known as Epiphanes. That's his adopted royal title. And um, 
and uh, he he basically stole the throne from his uh, nephew uh, Demetrius, and uh, he used subterfuge to, uh, subterfuge to do that. But uh, it says here in this color commentary by Gabriel, he describes the character of this man as well as some of his actions in a little bit different terms than verses 9 through 14. If you care to, you can read those two paragraphs side by side and uh, and look at them and, and discover what Gabriel is now explaining about the the physical graphic explanation uh, or the uh, vision that is in verses 9 through 14. But he goes on to say, in the latter period of their rule, and that means uh, the, the Greek empire, it says, when the transgression, uh, transgressors have run their course, a king will arise. He's talking about this rather small horn from verse 9. And it says, his power will be mighty, but not by his own power. In other words, he has to depend upon his own intrigue or his own uh, uh, ingenuity, but he depends upon his influence. And it says, says uh, he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. He's talking about the Jewish people in the promised land, in the holy place, and in the temple in Jerusalem. So uh, a lot of this might may be confusing to Daniel because at the time that he's seeing this vision and hearing this color commentary by this angel, there was no temple in Jerusalem and the Jewish people had not gathered in that city. They had not rebuilt the temple. They had not uh, rebuilt the city at all. And uh, they had, uh, from a physical standpoint, they had little hope that they, they would ever go back except for the fact that uh, there were certain prophecies, they would only be in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. But other than that, uh, from a physical or a a sociological kind of standpoint, it just didn't look like it was going to happen. But yet, but yet, uh, this vision is based on the premise that there is a city in Jerusalem, and there is a temple in Jerusalem, and there is a holy place in Jerusalem, and there are functioning priests in Jerusalem with sacrifices, because uh, this is based on that premise because it says that they were defiled, they were destroyed, they were uh, outdone, and uh, they the, uh, the temple was desecrated. And so, that's exactly what uh, um, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, did, and uh, that's what he uh, made himself out to be. He was superior. He was a totalitarian uh, ruler and king, which meant he did not want to allow the Jewish people their own religion. Uh, He outlawed the Sabbath day. He outlawed circumcision, caused it to be illegal. He uh, he desecrated the temple. He, uh, the uh, high priest Onias III was murdered in uh, 171 B.C., and Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, after that, uh, at a different uh, occasion, he sacrificed a pig, a sow, on the altar in the temple. And we now know that to be historical. And uh, even though Daniel didn't see it, except in the pre-written history in what we call predictive prophecy. And so 
he 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 sacrificed the sow. He took the the broth and the blood of the sow and sprinkled it all over the inside uh, holy place and the holy of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And that's what he did. He desecrated that temple. And then he went one step further. Not only did he defile it with the blood of the sow, but he erected an altar to Zeus Olympus, uh, Olympias in uh, in the holy of holies and then uh, wrote and put his own name on that statue. Uh, that meant uh, in, uh, in 168 BC, this statue was in the holy place, representing, even though it was originally meant for Zeus, that this uh, king was so arrogant and so totalitarian that he declared himself to be the God of the Hebrews and put himself and his name in the Holy of Holies. Well, that was a complete violation of everything that is considered to be holy when he desecrated the temple. He says, uh, and through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart. So he makes himself superior to everything else, superior to the word of God. Every time he found uh, the Hebrew scriptures, he would destroy it. He, he uh, Chapter 8, verse 12 uh, of Daniel, it says that he flung truth to the ground. Well, that's exactly what he did. He destroyed the Bible in tearing up its pages and sometimes burning the manuscripts completely so there would be nothing uh, left of them. So he he created this all-out attack against the religion of the Hebrews uh, to, to such a degree that he was superior to uh, their scriptures, superior to their God, superior to their religion. He was himself declaring uh, to be their God. It says that he will destroy many while they are at ease, and he will oppose the prince of peace, princes. And uh, that is a, a, a a title, perhaps, to to the Messiah himself. And uh, that is what would happen if you put yourself superior to the God of the Hebrews, then you're also making yourself out to be superior to his Messiah, that, uh, that uh, you are replacing that Messiah. And uh, that is exactly, even though the, the person at the time may not have uh, made those terms uh, his own, but yet that was what happened by his actions, you see, and that's exactly what Gabriel lays at uh, at uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes his feet. He lays the blame for this particular kind of action. He was against the prince of princes, uh, and um, but he will be broken without human agency. What's uh, interesting about that? Is that uh, is that uh, is exactly how Antiochus Epiphanes died? Uh, he didn't die in battle. He didn't die by assassination, which was kind of common in those days. Uh, but he died in a depressive state, and uh, uh, he he had learned that his army had been defeated in the Battle of Elymas, and uh, because of that, uh, he just 
passed. Uh, we don't know medically how he died, uh, uh, but uh, that is what happened, and that's exactly the way the Bible says he was going to find his demise. Uh, and uh, it says, the vision of the evenings and mornings, which had been told, is true. What is Gabriel in his color commentary referring to? He's referring to uh, that passage in that vision where it says specifically, there for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. And so what it's referring to is for almost six years or a little over six years, uh, there was uh, no sacrifice being offered because Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, had taken over the holy place and had set himself up as being the god of the Hebrews. And so that was a horrendous thing. And it was called a horror uh, earlier on. And, uh, and uh, that was in verse 13 of chapter 8. Uh, that is a, uh, a horrible thing to happen. And um, it says that uh, these evenings and mornings is each day, and so that is approximately what uh, six years are worth. And uh, and then we are told that at the end of those six years, there is a, a rally of Jewish people, and uh, specifically uh, the, uh, a family of priests by the, by the last name of Maccabees, and they rose up and led a rebellion against this fellow and against his, his incursion into the holy place, and they re- cleansed the temple and they they cleaned it out they reorganized the the priesthood they um they uh, uh, completely uh, redid the thing, and they they put new oil in the in the lampstand, the menorah. And in fact, that the oil, at least according to the legend, uh, the oil was only supposed to last for one day, and as it was, it lasted for a week or more. And uh, that is exactly what uh, what is celebrated today by the Jewish people in uh, in the uh, in the celebration of Hanukkah, and that. That then is a part of now our history. We can go back and look at, at what happened. It says, after uh, 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. And that is what happened. So you see, if that is what happened in direct fulfillment uh, of this prophecy that, that uh, Gabriel gave to Daniel, 200 years before it even happened, then you see that is our assurance that what is to come in uh, further uh, revelations to Daniel is going to happen just as much in detail and just as much uh, with assurance that it will be fulfilled uh, just as well. And uh, we look at that and we say uh, that this is God's word. This, uh, this is what a predictive prophecy looks like. It is anticipating and it is revealing something in such a way that no one can actually aggressively go at trying to fulfill it. But once it is fulfilled, we can look at it and say, wow, this is an amazing piece of detail that, uh, that the, the Bible predicted precisely. And it was fulfilled 
precisely so we can depend upon other things that haven't been fulfilled yet. We can look at them and say, well, uh, if it was, it was done once by the hand of God in human history, then he will do what he will do later in human history and allow it to be fulfilled with just as much precision. Father, thank you for these words of encouragement, these words that were written in such a fashion that we can understand that even in our ancient history, these things were fulfilled that were still future to the prophet Daniel. And uh, they were far off in the future to him. And yet uh, they were fulfilled by your hand and by your allowance and by your providence. And we trust in you that you would continue to do your work, that we would continue to understand more and more of your handiwork as you have at times uh, allowed your work to be revealed ahead of time so that we can recognize it when it happens. And we thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.